But once again, on a glorious Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead. Easter reminds us that Jesus Christ has indeed conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he is alive forevermore with all power and sovereign control. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death. And Hades. If we travel around the world, we find various tombs. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London is renowned because in it rest the bodies of English nobles and notables. Mohammed's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and bones it contains. Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is revered for it is the honored resting place of many outstanding Americans. But the garden tomb of Jesus is famous because it is empty. I think we got some pictures of that. Uh, There is a shot of the garden tomb. John's Gospel tells us that where Jesus was crucified that there was a garden and a tomb. This is one, a stock photo, but then I think we got a couple others that we took uh, from our trip uh, last year. That's on the inside of the tomb, there in the garden tomb, where you can see that it's empty. We got a couple other shots, I think. Uh, there we are standing outside the tomb. And is there one more? Yes. There is the eternal reminder there with the sign that's there in the garden tomb. He is not here, for he is risen. Now, I know that the tomb of Jesus is empty because I've been there. I've seen it. I've stepped in it. I've stepped out of it. I hope that's an experience that many of you could have one day. But the reality is I believed in the resurrection story of Jesus Christ long before I ever witnessed the empty tomb. My faith's journey to believe in Jesus as my living Savior wasn't difficult for me. And maybe it wasn't for some of you, but for others of you perhaps You might be struggling to believe and experience the power of the risen Lord Jesus. When we look at the Easter story in all four of the Gospels, we find that at the initial discovery of the empty tomb, there was difficulty on the part of all of them, no matter how the Gospel writer describes who came first and in what order and what they saw, there was difficulty to believe. I want us to look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 20, and look at the discovery of the empty tomb from Mark's Gospel. Mark writes and says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. 
See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, many manuscripts do not have the rest of the Gospel of Mark. But I don't think that the Gospel of Mark could end that way, that they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And so we read these other words added to this. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. You see, there's that struggle to believe. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Again, difficulty to believe. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, I want you to catch next what Jesus has to say about the resurrected life. Because this does not describe an ordinary routine mundane existence if you're a follower of Jesus and have experienced the resurrection. Listen to what Jesus said. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people And they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. What a marvelous resurrection story. What a marvelous Easter story. As we look at Mark's account, we see early on that Easter morning, three women making their way to the tomb, bearing precious herbs and oils to wash the body of the Lord Jesus. They came to comb out his hair, to wash away the dried blood, to massage precious myrrh into his skin. And they had hoped to engage this ritual act that was traditionally done before sealing a body in the tomb. They had come to anoint the crucified one, their friend. And even as they made their way, they were discussing among themselves how they would gain access into the tomb because of the stone that had been rolled over the entrance. When they arrive, they discover that the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty, vacant, except for a young guy there who definitely is not Jesus. And suddenly, the Bible says, they are afraid. They fear that their last chance to pour a little compassion on the broken body of Jesus has escaped. They fear that they are witnessing the final insult of this whole horrible affair. First, Jesus' life was stolen from him, and now perhaps even his body has been taken. And perhaps even to their dismay, death has won again. Death, that ever-ravenous monster, 
has finally and utterly swallowed up their beloved friend. They were discouraged, disheartened. They were defeated. Now, most of us know what that's like at some point and at some level in our life. We've known some obstacles to our happiness and our joy. Today we face the obstacles of like unpaid bills, grades we can't make, people we can't please, temptations we can't resist, a past that we just can't seem to shake, and a future that somehow we are afraid to face. And like the woman in this story, we can't remove those obstacles by ourselves. We can't remove those stumbling blocks no more than the women could have moved that stone blocking the entrance to the tomb of Jesus But the reality for us on this Resurrection Sunday, this glorious Easter day, is that the living Lord Jesus Christ can remove those obstacles from our life, just as He did for Mary and for Peter and for all those who have dared to believe ever since that first Resurrection Sunday. Their lives were changed forever because the resurrection changes everything once they believe. Now I want us to consider this morning the difference that Jesus made in their lives and the difference he can make in our lives when we dare to believe. First of all, the risen Savior dispels our disappointment. And you go back to Mary and the other women at the tomb. To say that these women were discouraged was an understatement. They were devastated and they were heartbroken. They believed in Jesus. They put their faith in him. All their hopes and all their dreams of the Messiah rested in a man they believed to be God in the flesh. But then he died. And the ground beneath that old rugged cross on Calvary ran red with the blood of the Son of God. They weren't the only ones feeling discouraged either. All of Jesus' followers up until that point were discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned. Even the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, I think, maybe expressed and summed up the feeling and sentiment of all of the disappointed disciples when they said, we had hoped that he was the one. See, maybe you can identify with those disciples. Hopes and dreams around you lie shattered. Hopes for happiness and health and well-being. And it's discouraging when our hopes and our dreams are unfulfilled. It was for the women, for the disciples But when they saw him and heard him, everything changed. Mary and the other disciples saw the risen Savior and it changed everything. In John 20, 20, the Bible says, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The message paraphrase says, The disciples seeing the Master with their own eyes were exuberant. That's a powerful word. And the New Century Version says the followers were thrilled when they saw the Lord. You see, those are great words for this Resurrection Sunday and for our encounter with the living Lord. Seeing Jesus made all the difference. And in that moment, they went from hopelessness and depression to joyful, thrilling, overflowing exuberance. And the same can take place in our life when we put our faith in the resurrected Lord. We will never be disappointed in him. Yes, we will have some disappointments in life. There will be some struggles in life. Psalm 22, 5 says, though, that they trusted you and were never disappointed. See, apart from Christ, life is full of disappointments and discouragement. 
But Jesus gives us hope. He changes everything when we believe in him and his resurrection. The second observation from this story is that the risen Savior dispels our dread. You remember, hopefully, in other accounts of this story, what happened to all the disciples when Jesus was arrested? They all left him. They all ran away. They all deserted him except one who was willing to go and follow him to the cross. And when Jesus was crucified, they were even more terrified. In fact, the Bible says that when they were discovered together on that Sunday afternoon, that the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, confused and fearful. The disciples huddled close together, hiding from the authorities. See, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and that he would see them there and that they would see him there, but they didn't go. They were paralyzed by fear. And fear does that to us, doesn't it? Fear is a poison of our own making and it keeps us from accomplishing what God wants to do in our life. Maybe you know some of the same fear. The fear of rejection keeps you from sharing your faith story. Surely you've had that opportunity. But it's the fear of rejection that keeps you from doing that. It's the fear of rejection that keeps you from building meaningful and significant relationships. I don't want to get hurt. And then it's the fear of failure that perhaps keeps you from trying something new in your spiritual walk, getting out of your comfort zone. There's always safety and security within that comfort zone. And it's the fear of failure that keeps you from trying something new. But look at the disciples. When Jesus came and stood in their midst and said peace to them, their fear was transformed into faith. The next thing you know, these men who were scared to death literally, frightened for their lives, fearful from the authorities, are out in the city streets and the synagogues and everywhere they went, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and a living Savior. And what made the difference? It was the presence of the risen Christ. And the reality is that whatever challenges you and I face as followers of Jesus Christ, we face it with the presence of our living Savior. And that removes all the dread from our life. Then here's the third truth from this resurrection story. And that is that the risen Savior dispels our doubt. Yes, some of you probably are here even on Easter Sunday. Maybe you've even got a new outfit. You've come either with family or you've come because it's the thing to do on Easter Sunday. But there's that little bit of doubt nagging in your mind. Is, can this really be true? That this Jesus could come back from the dead? Then you are like Thomas. Thomas missed, Thomas the disciple missed that first appearance of Christ. While the others were meeting behind locked doors, Thomas was off on his own. We're not sure where he was or what he was doing. But we do know that when Jesus came and found those disciples and he appeared unto them and they were transformed by that hope because of his appearance. Thomas wasn't there. When they later told him that, Thomas said, unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side, I will not believe. Thomas was a skeptic. He wouldn't believe it until he saw the evidence. He's taken a lot of criticism for his doubts. We call him Doubting Thomas. 
But maybe you have some of the same struggle today to believe. What kind of proof is there that can give you what you need to believe? Well, I could ask you in simple form, what, else, what other evidence do you want than what we find recorded in the Scriptures? If you weave all of these stories together, you find that there are multiple appearances of the risen Christ and everybody, even a gathering of 500 people who saw him, all testified to the same thing. See, Thomas's struggle to believe reminds me of a man by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee was an investigative editor of the Chicago Tribune and a confirmed atheist. Then his wife became a believer and follower in Jesus Christ. And as her faith grew, he saw so many changes taking place in her. And he really thought he was going to lose her. And so he sought out to disprove Jesus. He really wanted to disprove who Jesus was. He wanted to prove to his wife that Jesus was not the Son of God. Being an investigative reporter for a worldwide paper like the Chicago Tribune, he had all kind of resources at his hands. He had all kind of contacts to make. He studied the evidence. He studied the biographies, all the extra biblical uh, affirmations of the life of Jesus and his resurrection. And he decided that everything about Jesus, whether he was real or not, whether he was the Son of God or not, everything hinged on the resurrection. And if Jesus had died and came back from the dead three days later, then that validated everything and proved who he was. The evidence was irresistible. And after nearly two years of study and research, Lee Strobel sat at his desk, took a a legal pad, drew a line down the middle, and put everything on one side that was evidence that supported who Jesus was and everything on the other side that supported evidence that Jesus was not the Son of God. And when he looked at the tally sheet, he was overwhelmed by the discovery he made, and he gave his life to Christ. He believed. The result of that is he is an outspoken speaker and author. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and it's now out in a movie. The book has sold over 14 million copies, and now the movie is out. And I think last weekend it was the number two sellout of attendance. However, they measured that with people going to see movies. Some in our Sunday school department, some classes went yesterday to see that amazing movie. When Thomas saw the evidence of the risen Lord, he exclaimed, My Lord and my God. You see, every one of us has to decide who Jesus is. Whether you do the investigative report and study all that you can analyze like Lee Strobel did, whether you have an opportunity to journey to the Holy Land and visit the two tombs, one of which could be the actual tomb of Jesus, either in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb. My head tells me what the scholars say, that it's there in the church of the Holy Sepulchre. My heart tells me that it's the garden tomb because every time I've gone in there, there's just been a stirring in my soul that says, this is it. This is the place. There's the place of the skull that's there, and it's a garden that's described, and there is the empty tomb. Maybe that's what you need to experience. But the reality is that everyone has to decide about Jesus, as Rick Warren is fond of saying. You've got to decide whether Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. So what will you decide on this Easter morning? And then the fourth point of this story, I think, tells us this, that the risen Savior dispels our defeats. We all know what it is to fail. We look particularly in this story at Simon Peter. 
He knew what it was to fail. He was a follower. He was a simple but passionate follower of Jesus. He said, Lord, I will lay down my very life for you. Until Jesus told him that you would deny me. Three times you would deny knowing me. And that night of the trial, those words came back to Peter. He said, I don't know him. I don't, I don't belong to him. I'm not one of his. He failed Jesus when it counted the most. But the risen Christ restored Peter. Did you catch something significant in the command that were given to the women as to what they were supposed to go and do and who they were to speak to? The angel said to them, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. Those two words, and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. Why Peter? Because he had a special message of restoration for Peter. You see, every one of us could write our name there. Tell Robert. Put your own name there. Because Jesus has a message of restoration for every one of us who has failed him. And we've all failed him at some point in time. Later after the resurrection, it was there on the seashore early one morning that Jesus met Simon Peter. And three times he asked him, do you love me? And three times when Peter affirmed that yes, he did love him, then he was restored. See, we've all failed the Lord. We feel defeated and destroyed, but the risen Christ offers us forgiveness and restoration. The NBA playoffs have begun. It seems like a, almost a year-long season now is at the midpoint where they've gone through the regular season and now like 16 teams are in the playoff. I'm not, I don't follow the NBA like I used to many years ago. But I remember a Nike commercial that would air, and a voice would say, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the winning shot, and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, but that is why I've succeeded. And those words came from Michael Jordan, arguably one of the most, uh, or if not, the best player ever to pick up the game of basketball. Just because you've been defeated in the past doesn't mean that you surrender. Because Jesus rose away that stone of defeat and he offers to you the opportunity to be restored. The opportunity to start life new and the opportunity to have a new beginning in your life. We celebrate that today on Easter Sunday. And then the last thing I think this story tells us is that the risen Savior dispels our fear over death. So since the Garden of Eden, death has been our constant enemy. The Bible tells us that death is the last enemy to be defeated. And unless the Lord returns soon, we will all experience death. It's inescapable. But Jesus has something to say about death and life. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Those are wonderful words for this Resurrection Sunday. You see, Jesus promises one thing that nobody else can offer. Eternal life. Life after death. And the resurrection of the body. His resurrection validates his claim to be the resurrection and the life. 
And Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. And in that we should find any fear that we have over death and the grave and what lies beyond. So I remind you today on this glorious Easter day that the resurrection changes everything. And I have two challenges for you on this Easter Sunday. First, I want to challenge you to believe the Easter story. If you're still a doubter, if you're still a skeptic, believe the Easter story. Do whatever research you need to do, but don't ignore the facts. Sin, death, and hell make it a matter of extreme urgency. Believe in a risen Savior. He died your death. He conquered your grave. Trust Him. He is the Son of God the Messiah, the only Savior. Hear it again, the gospel from John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in the resurrected Lord. Claim your freedom from discouragement, dread, doubt, defeats, and death. Claim faith in the resurrected Lord. And then the second challenge I have for you is this. Embrace the full benefits of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true and the resurrection is meaningful for you, and if the resurrection changes everything, then don't let it be just a routine of your life. Let it be more than fact. Allow the resurrection to reevaluate everything in your life. Because the truth of the resurrection changes everything, every day, all for the glory of God. Believe the resurrection and embrace the full benefit of the resurrection to the glory of God. Pray with me. Almighty God, on this day we rejoice in the day of resurrection. The tomb is empty. Death could not hold the Lord Jesus. His body saw no decay. His enemies did not win, and the earth could not contain him. We are emboldened by the power of the resurrection. We are encouraged by the hope of the resurrection. We are enlightened by the truth of the resurrection. So, Heavenly Father, help us this day to have a daily expectation that we will encounter the living Lord Jesus wherever we live. Help us to live in submission to you and to your kingdom. Empower us to bring the message of resurrection into every dark and desperate corner of our world. Father, we pray all of this boldly, confidently, but yet humbly and submissively in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.